We're in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 11. And so follow along as we read. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What an interesting story we have here. Let me get my paper here. Interesting story we have here. This is uh, Jesus is going to be calling the disciples, and he uses this opportunity to say to Simon, follow me, and you'll be fishers of men. And immediately they're going to forsake all. Now you're going to find in Scripture there's two times where these disciples had the biggest catch of their life. This is the first one in Luke chapter 5. The biggest catch of their life. When one net catches enough fish that they fill both boats so that they're about to sink, that's what you call a good fishing day, amen? That's a good day fishing. But then... After they come to shore, it says they forsook all and followed him. They left the biggest catch of their life. Now, the second time comes after the resurrection. And they are fishing. Peter says, I go a fishing. And Jesus is there on the shore and he says, have you any meat? <laughs> they didn't want to answer that, but the answer is no. We fished all night long, but we have nothing. And then he says, uh, cast the net on the other side of the ship. And Peter's thinking, that don't make sense. But we've tried everything already, so might as well do that. So he throws it just on the other side. And again, the nets are filled with fish. And that's when Peter looks up and says, that's Jesus. I've been through this before. That's Jesus. And then he jumps overboard 
and swims to shore. And they left the biggest, second biggest catch they ever had in their whole lives to follow Jesus. In this passage of scripture, we see how Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Andrew was Peter's brother, and they were both in the fishing business, and and then uh, James and John were their fishing partners who had the other ship that they fished with. And we're going to see that all four of these men are going to become followers of Jesus and become his early apostles. But in this passage, we see how they went from failure to success. Failure to success. Now, let me just say, life has many failures. Amen? Anybody testify? Life has many failures. In fact, failures are an amazing gift from God to keep us humble. We always get humble when we have those failures. And that's what they had, a failure. And yet God turned it around to one of the biggest successful days a fisherman could ever have. And this evening, that's what we're going to look at. How did God turn it around from failure to success? And not only will we be looking at their lives, I want you to analyze your life. Think of the areas where you have failed in life, and yet God turned it around. Sometimes we make such failures that we think, I'll never get outlive this. I'll never get over this. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be haunted by this all the days of my life. And then Jesus gets involved and has a way of just turning it all around. And you think, that was such a failure. Man, that could have scarred me all my life. I could have been depressed for the rest of my life. And look what Jesus did. He gave you such joy and success and blessing. How does Jesus do that in our lives? We'll see that tonight. And let me just say, if you're going through one of those little little things of, of uh, failures, there, there's bunch of them in life. But if you're going through a time where it seems like, boy, everything's just falling apart. I'm just failing. I'm just failing. May I remind you that Jesus Christ is the one who can turn everything around in your life. And he'll do it over and over and over again. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's look at this passage how he went from failure to success. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have. Thank you for allowing us to listen once again to the teenagers singing what, what fine young men and women they are, dear Lord, and we're so proud of them. And Lord, our college and career, I pray you'll bless them and the Wanas, the children, all the adults working in there and in the nurseries, Lord. But Father, while we're in this service, would you speak to our hearts from your word? Holy Spirit of God, would you not just let us read about something that happened historical and Bible days, but would you take this truth and make application to each individual life? 
Lord, it'd be a wonderful thing if we learned about what you did in the life of Peter, but we go away from this place saying, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing in our lives too. Lord, that's what we need. Every time we come to church, we need your touch. We need the Holy Spirit of God to whisper in our ear, to speak to our heart, to minister to the needs of our lives. Lord, we thank you for what you did so long ago, but we praise you for what you're doing even now in our own lives. And we thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, he went from failure to success. It's most an amazing thing. Now, the Bible says they were fishing on the Lake Gennesaret, which is interesting because it's the Hebrew word for Kenareth that's used in the Old Testament. Uh, It literally means gardens of princes, gardens of princes. Uh, They love the Lake Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Chenareth. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. Those are all different biblical names about the same body of water. The Sea of Galilee is about 16 miles long and about six miles across. It's a beautiful lake to get out on. And if you ever have that chance to go to Israel, they'll take you on a boat and you'll uh, go through, uh, go out on the Sea of Galilee and you'll see the sun reflecting on it. And it's just a beautiful scenic thing. It is also one of those bodies of water that because on the other side, having been so flat, just like on the uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee, that Uh, I mean, the Dead Sea, as well as the Sea of Galilee, you have the winds that come across that flat area, and it can uh, bring up heavy waves very quickly. I've uh, been at the Dead Sea when a big storm came that actually blew some trees over in a a kibbutz that we were staying at uh, on the other side of the Dead Sea, and you're looking at this storm coming across the water and it gets so close, I finally say to my friend, I think we better go inside. We were just in awe of it. It had to be the same type of thing when the disciples were out on the sea and a big storm came out of nowhere and they're out there rowing and not getting anywhere. And remember Jesus walking on the water. What a beautiful thing. This lake is very much loved by the Jewish people. In fact, the uh, priests and teachers would say that the Jews say the holy, blessed God created seven seas, but chose none of them but the Sea of Gennesaret. So they believe that was God's chosen body of water. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that Jesus ministered a whole lot and in fact, state of Cana of Galilee, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter grew up on the Sea of Galilee. His, his house is just a stone's throw from the water, his ancient home. And so here they are on the Sea of Galilee and they are fishing. Now know that four of these disciples, that was their trade, it was fishermen. And so they're not fishing to get food for their family. They're fishing to have food to sell for their family. 
And that's true of a lot of people who are fishermen, even in Asia areas. They don't eat the catch. They sell the catch so they can buy rice or grain or something along those lines. Usually what they would say is the fish is too expensive for them to eat, even though they caught it. They can get more money by selling it, and they can buy a lot more groceries that way. And no doubt the disciples were very much the same way. Now notice that they'd been fishing all night long. I want us to see two things by way of introduction. The first one is that um, they failed when they should have succeeded. They failed when they should have succeeded. The first thing I want to point out is they were fishing at the right time. It says we were fishing all night long. We've toiled all night long and yet have taken nothing. See, at night, fish school. During the day, they scatter around, but they will school. And that's why they throw out the nets and they're trying to catch them while they're schooling and get them under dark. You know, in the daytime, you throw the net, and guess what the fish, they see that net, and of course, they're gone, right? So you throw it at night, so they hopefully can't see the net come down over them, and you toil. Now, keep in mind, they didn't have these little nylon nets, did they, that are so easy to throw out? No, they they had a net that was rope that was woven, And it was heavy, and it would get waterlogged, and they would throw it, and then have to pull it in, and throw it, and pull it in, and throw it. And literally, he knew what he meant when he said, we have toiled all the night long. Have you ever had times in your life where you felt like you worked hard but didn't accomplish much? Well, that's how they felt. And there's nothing more sinking than that. You work on something, work on something, work on something. And your wife says, how did it work? Well, it didn't work. I spent all day working on it. It didn't, didn't succeed. It didn't, it didn't get what I wanted done. And it's no doubt they felt the same way. They were fishing at the right time. By the way, they knew what they were doing. They're professional fishermen. Now, I'm not a professional fisherman. But I found this, if you want to catch fish, go with someone who's a good fisherman. So that's what I've learned. If I want to go hunting, I go with someone who knows what they're doing. I would be wandering out in the woods, and probably 30 years from now, somebody finds some bones and say, looks like a preacher to me, got lost out here hunting. Uh, I, I can fish, there's water all over the place here, but I have no clue where the fish are. I'd just be wetting a hook. That's no fun. I don't like fishing, I love catching. And so I try to go with people who know how to catch. And it's amazing, they will take you to a spot and there may be fishermen on both sides, but they'll take you to the spot they know fish will be and congregate and they will pull up and they'll come around here and throw out there and you're gonna get something. And they know that. But these were professional fishermen. They knew their business. They knew where the fish were. They weren't just going, you know, just driving through the Sea of Galilee, hoping. No, they knew where the sunken logs were. They knew where the depths were. They knew where the fish congregate. And they should have been there, but they weren't. He had enough nets in the water. The Bible says they were washing out the nets. 
So he wasn't just a one-pole fisherman. Boy, he had poles out all over. He had nets. And so he's casting on this side, and Andrew's casting on that side, and John's casting on this side of his ship, and James is casting on this side. They got four nets going, no doubt, just throwing, 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 trying to catch. And they've toiled all the night long and yet have caught nothing. And they toiled at the act of fishing. They weren't just, you know, throw out a net and then say, you know, I'm hungry. Let's break out the sandwiches. No, they were toiling, toiling, toiling. And yet they failed. Nothing worse than going fishing or hunting and you come home and your wife says, what'd you catch? Cold. (laughs) Caught nothing. No fish. I didn't see anything. There was nothing to shoot at, nothing to catch, nothing. At least I didn't have clean anything, so I'm, I'm good. But second, notice that they succeeded when they should have failed. They went out again the wrong time of day. They went in during the day. They went out to throw their nets, and that's the wrong time. Secondly, he wasn't acting on what he knew to do. He was acting on the words of Jesus. And Jesus, he knew, grew up as a carpenter, right? So a carpenter is telling a fisherman how to fish. And yet, rather than be proud, Peter is just saying, okay, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll throw out the net. And then thirdly, notice he didn't throw out the nets. He threw out a net. Jesus says, lower the nets for a great catch. And he says, Master, we've toiled all the night long and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will let down a net. See, they'd already washed the nets. So he said, I'll get one dirty again. I'll get one out there again. But I'm not throwing all the nets out there. He did one. And then notice he didn't have room for the fish. It took two boats. Now, what makes the difference? How do you go from nothing to abundance? How do you go from failure to success? I would suggest there are several steps that are mentioned in the scripture here. And so follow along as I mention those. The first one is admission. Admission. He admitted that he had failed in verse 5. Master, we've toiled all the night long and have taken nothing. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, God wants to help every single one of us, but he wants us to be humble enough to say, Jesus, we need you. I'm a failure without you. I cannot succeed without you. Jesus said, to his disciples, for without me, you can do nothing. Someone said nothing is a zero with the line erased. It's just nothing. And that's exactly what you and I can do in our own power when it comes to spiritual things. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives. And we have to get to that place where we're humble enough to say, Lord, my way's not working. I'm a failure without you. 
I cannot make it on my own. Lord, I'm falling flat on my face. Lord, this is embarrassing. Lord, I'm just ruining my life. I need your help. And so when we get to that place where we're willing to admit that we're failing on our own, boy, that's when Jesus likes to show up. He likes us to be humble enough to say, Lord, we need you. I love that hymn that says, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And that's how it ought to be for us as believers, because certainly we do need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to that place that we're humble enough, we have to usually get uncomfortable. You know, I don't know about you, but it it would seem that when we first suspect that we need the Lord Jesus Christ's help in our life, that we just run to him and say, Lord, I know I need you. But you know, sometimes this old human flesh likes to say, let me try it a little longer. I, I think I might be able to do it. I think I, I might be able to do this on my own. And there's something about our human spirit that loves to toil on our own and try to succeed in areas that only Jesus can help us succeed. We have to get uncomfortable with who we are and where we are before we get humble enough to say, Lord, I need you. And I'm sorry I haven't come to you sooner. But I've come to the conclusion I just can't make it without you. When you get to that place of admission, that's when Jesus Christ is able to step in and help you. Many years ago, there's famous preacher, Dr. Harry A. Ironstone, Ironside, no, Iron, Ironside, not Ironstone, and uh, it's called Henry uh, Iron, Ironside. He was a great uh, theological pastor, but did a great job. I'm thinking he pastored somewhere in the Chicago area, but I'm not quite sure. And he was telling a story about an evangelist called F.E. March. And F.E. March was an evangelist in the same day as uh, Harry A. Ironside. And he was saying that he was preaching at a church conference on confession and restitution confession and restitution. In other words, he's preaching to Christians how to get right with God, how to confess what, what is in their life that's uh, sinful and God will not bless, and then how to make restitution if it's someone else that they've offended or someone else that they've troubled, how to make that restitution. And so he preached several days on that, and there was a young man who came to him at the conclusion of one of the services, and um, you could see that he was very troubled, and um, he didn't know quite how to approach F.E. March, the pastor or evangelist that was preaching, but he was just troubled, and he's standing there, and and, um, Brother March said to him, he said, son, can can I help you? And he said, "Um, yes, Brother March, I'm, I'm under such conviction. You've preached about uh, my transgression. You've preached about restitution. And, and uh, I'm so guilty and, and so burdened by my transgression. Uh, 
And he said, well, what is it, son? He said, well, see, I work in a shipyard. And in that shipyard, we use copper nails. And we use those copper nails so they won't rust out. But I also, at home, have a small boat I've been working on. And and Brother Marsh, while I'm working on the ship at work, I, I've... I've taken some of those copper nails and put them in my pocket and I, I've been doing that so that I could work on my ship at home because I couldn't afford the copper nails myself. Now he said, I think they were surplus, but I, I didn't ask anyone. I just took them. And I don't know what to do. Well, the evangelist F.E. Marsh said, Son, there's only one thing for you to do. You got to confess it to your boss and you got to make restitution. And he said, well, I, I would, but I, I can't. He said, how come? He said, well, my boss is not a believer and he thinks all Christians are hypocrites. And quite frankly, if, if I admit it to that, He'd say, well, that's just what I thought, all these hypocrite Christians. He said, I, it would not just destroy my testimony, it would destroy what he believes about every Christian. And Brother Marsh said, well, son, like I said, there's, there's no other alternative. You've got to confess it, and you've got to make restitution. Well, the young man went away troubled, and he became troubled for several days. And finally, he met Evangelist Marsh again at about a week or two later. And he said, Mr. Marsh, he said, uh, my burden has gone. He said, wonderful, tell me about it. He said, well, I just fought it and fought it and fought it. And finally, the Holy Spirit just convicted me so much. I said, I can't fight it anymore. I, I just got to confess it no matter what happens. If I lose my job or whatever, or I get in jail, I, I don't know. But I, I've got to do what the Lord wants me to do. And he went and he talked to his boss and he said, boss, I, I've got to confess I, I've, I've not done right. I've been taking some of the copper nails and uh, I know it's wrong and the Lord has convicted me of that and I don't know what you'll do but I, I promise you I'm going to pay it all back and I'm going to make good by it and I'll start making this week. I'll start making payments and I'll keep making payments till I pay it all off. And I told that to my boss and my boss said, well, that's interesting that you would tell me something I had no way of ever figuring out. He said, son, I've, I got to the place where I felt like every Christian was just a hypocrite. But now you are confessing to something that there's no way under heaven I could have known. And you could have just stayed quiet and gone on with your life, but you're risking your job and more by confessing that. He said, I think there's something to this Christianity if it makes you do that. In fact, he said, son, 
would you be able to tell me how to become a Christian too? And he did. And his boss came to faith in Christ. And they rejoiced together. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has to get you that place of confession and getting to the place where you just admit, Lord, I'm wrong. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I can't do it without you. Lord, I've just made a mess of it. But you come to the place of a mission. You've toiled all the night long, but you've taken nothing. But the second thing is agreement. Agreement. In verse 5, he agreed to do what Jesus said. He said, Master, I've toiled all the night long and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. We come to the place where we don't see how it's going to help, but we know God said do it. And if God said do it, it's going to work. It doesn't always have to make good sense. It's just that God's ways are higher than our ways. And His why he's wiser than we are. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, well, Mike, this is what you ought to do. And I'm thinking, really? I remember years ago, I've shared this before once or twice, maybe three times in the last 20 years. But many years ago, uh, I had a... A treasurer at the time come to us when we just had the first building and come and say, Pastor, uh, she had a handful of envelopes. She says, this is $12,000 worth of bills. I said, well, okay. And she said, and we have 6000 in the bank right now. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, do you want to pray about this? And I said, yeah, apparently I better, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I should pray about that. And so, uh, boy, that was troubling. How am I going to do that? Now, I don't know, you know, today things are a little bit different, but uh, back then, $6,000, that was a lot of money. And by the way, it still is, right? It's still a lot of money. Uh And so I was praying, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit uh, woke me up, and uh, with this verse, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And that week, I'd received a letter from a good friend of mine, Dr. Jack Treber, who was starting a Bible college, Golden State Baptist College, of which probably 30, 35 of our people over the years have gone as students, And uh, he was just wondering if we want to help to be a part of that. Now, it was a generic letter sent to all pastors, but he was and is a dear friend of mine. And the Holy Spirit said, give and it shall be given unto you. And so the next day I said to our treasurer, I said, "Uh, I think I know what the Lord wants us to do. She said, well, good. What is it? I said, I want you to write a check for $2,500 and send it to North Valley Baptist Church because they're starting a Bible college. And she looked at me like I lost my sense. She said, Pastor, we have $12,000 worth of bills and only $6,000 and you're telling us to give away $2,500 of it? I said, yeah. 
you know, the Lord said, give and it shall be given unto you. She said, I know that's what the Lord says, but <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of financial sense. Give away. I said, let me, let me reason with you. Will 6000 pay for the $12,000 worth of bills? She said, no. I said, well, if you take 2500 from the 6000 it still won't pay for it, will it? So we're in the same boat. <laughs> we're in the same boat. And I said, but I believe there's a biblical principle that when we give in time of need, God will bless. Now, I had always personally operated on that promise. Whenever Vicki and I personally, and uh, let me tell you, probably the first 15 years of my ministry, people on welfare made more money than we did. Uh, you grew up in the South where people like you poor and humble. And, and if God would make you humble, the church would make you poor. And that's the way it was. And uh, so we just had to, we were constantly up against it. And here's what we did. Every time we had a need, I found some way to give away money. And so uh, when we had only $60 in, in our checking account, I heard a friend of mine was going through seminary and having a tough time. I just heard a third party thing. And so I, I mailed him $60 check. But that week, unbeknownst to us, the Lord gave us back $160 from sources that we did not expect at all. I saw him two years later, and he said, thank you. I'm so sorry I hadn't mentioned it. I said, that's okay. If I'd known what God was going to do, I'd taken out a loan and given it to you. If I knew he was going to triple everything, you know, I would have you know, done more, but I did all I could. So we had operated that way. We gave the 2500 We owed the $12,000 in bills, and this was in December and that, that month, we took in $20,000 over budget. Over budget. Which never happened before. God had a miraculous way of meeting the need. And so when we admit that we need the Lord, and we're in agreement with the Lord, we're willing to do what God's Word says. So this is not just reaching out in the dark. God said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken in. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Then we see, secondly, accomplishment. It says they enclosed a great amount of fishes and the net break. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which it I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Let me tell you, the Bible is not only quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God said, my word will never return void. When you teach it in a Sunday school class, when you speak of it in a Bible study, when you preach it uh, behind a pulpit or in a, uh, 
Wherever you share God's word, God will do his work, his way with his word. He will use his word to accomplish things. And that's exactly, nevertheless, that thy word will let down the net. So they agreed with what Jesus said, and then they had great accomplishment. They enclosed a great amount of fishes. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The Bible tells us over and over again, that if we will follow God's word, he will bless. Here at Grandview Baptist Church, may I say it's, I I praise the Lord for our music, but that's not what blesses our church. I I like our programs. That doesn't bless our church. I like our buildings. That does. But you know what does? When every person who's a teacher uses the word of God and preaches and teaches because God's word changes lives. If you don't have the word of God, you have, you, it's just a PTA meeting. You might as, it's just a lion's club. It's just an association of people gathering for fellowship. But when you interject the word of God, God starts changing lives People get saved, lives get transformed, wonderful things happen when the Word of God is proclaimed. It's an amazing thing. What God will do in your home, with your family, you get around the Word of God and all of a sudden it seems like the kids like each other. Wow! Instead of one fight after another, you know, it, it seems like you and your wife get on the same page. That's a miracle, isn't it? You get on that same page because the Word of God speaks to my heart, speaks to her heart, speaks to our heart, and it molds us into people that God can use. Accomplishment. It's an amazing thing when we yield to the Spirit of God and let God's Word have His way. Fourthly, we see astonishment. They gathered the fish. They did what God said, what Jesus said. They put out the net. They got the great fish. And then it says, he was astonished. Astonished. Isn't it amazing how astonished we get when God does what he said he would do? Wow, he kept his word. Of course he does. But we're still thrilled. It's like, I prayed, and that got answered. Why are we so shocked? (laughs) Maybe we're not praying enough. But it's an amazing thing when we see what God does, and we say, wow, because God doesn't always choose the normal way to answer your prayer every once in a while. He just rolls out the red carpet and, and just answers in a significant way. Wow. Look what God did. That's an amazing thing. So he was astonished. God will accomplish more than you can ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. I try to tell young people, if you give your little old life to Jesus, 
You'll be amazed what Jesus will do with that little gift. Oh, it's amazing over your lifetime what God can do when you just give him your life. Great and mighty things. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Jeremiah 33.3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Back in the Carpenter's Hall, I always told our people, we have a big God who wants to do big things. Big things. I'm telling you that we can go to God with great confidence and you can be astonished what God will do with your family and do for your family and for your business and for your health. Ephesians chapter 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. I'm telling you, God will do far, 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 far more than we ever imagined. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 in the last part says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Exploits. Boy, that, that, that word sounds powerful. Exploits. Sounds like dynamite going off. Exploits. I'm telling you, God wants to do good things in your life. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to stand on the stage. You just be a Christian that is yielded to the Lord, and you'll be amazed what God will do in your life. He's got a big plan for every single one of us. And I know sometimes we get to the place where we feel like all of our plans just, you know, did the Titanic deepest part of the sea. But you know, God has a way. He never gives up on us. He's always got a plan for us. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be bright, and it's going to be fulfilling. And we can look to the Lord and be astonished at what he will do in our lives. Fifthly, we see assignment. He says to them in verse 10, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. They just have been given a new occupation. They were fishermen, but now they're fishers of men. God has assignment for all of us as well. Uh, I, I love uh, that little children's song that God will make us fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. And that's what God wants us to be, looking for opportunities to tell others about the Savior. John chapter 15, verse 16 says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye should ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. This morning at Chamber, we met in Oregon City with other people, maybe 40 other, 50 other people or so. But I always look for an opportunity to talk about Jesus and talk with people about the Lord. And I got to talk to about four this morning. And one of them said, we've been looking for a church and we just moved to Henrici. Uh, how could, he said, if we came to your church, would you let us come? Who would ask that question? 
What church wouldn't let people come? I don't know. I said, yeah, we'll roll out the red carpet. We'd be loved, love to have you and your family. He said, well, we're coming this Sunday then. I said, praise the Lord. John chapter 20, verse 21, and Jesus said unto them again, peace be unto you as my father has sent me, even so send I you. See, God commissions us and we are sent in his stead. We are his ambassadors from heaven and we represent the Lord Jesus Christ and we plead with people, be ye reconciled unto God. Not only Jesus can save, but we are his messengers. He does the saving, but he gives us the message to share. And it's just an amazing thing. I read of a missionary in Africa, him and his wife were home on furlough and they were speaking at a church and uh, they had some question and answers and someone came up and uh, I think it was a teenager was asking him, uh, do you love the work there in Africa? And he said, uh, no. <laughs> he said, no. He said, my, my wife and I really are not uh, excited about dirt and uh, mud huts, and lizards, and spiders, bigger than we've ever seen in the U.S., and wild animals. We don't like crawling into vile huts through goat refuge. But then he said, but is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. He said, liking or disliking it has nothing to do with it. We have been commanded by God and therefore we go. What a wonderful thing. I remember when I moved to Oregon, people would say, you like it? What? what I didn't move 2,400 miles away just to look it over and, and load up a truck again and head back. But, but for whatever reason, it seemed like the first year or two, the one question most people would ask me is, uh, do you like it? Uh, of course, now, 38 years later, I can say, well, not really, but no. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I said, but if I didn't, it's still the will of God for my life. I said, I didn't determine by what's the prettiest area to serve God. I determine what's the will of God for my life. And here's one thing I found. The will of God is the greenest spot in all of God's earth. You might be right in the middle of the Sahara Desert, but if that's the will of God for your life, it's going to be the most pleasant, most fruitful place you'll ever be. Where you are, where God puts you, That's where you'll bloom, and that's where you need to stay, where God puts you. And finally, we see abandonment. The Bible says they forsook all and followed him in verse 11. This big catch, here it is, everything they dream for, every fisherman's dream. Forsake it all. Let's go after Jesus. Let's be fishers of men. Let's do what God wants us to do. 
Matthew 16, 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's a wonderful thing when you're following Jesus. Following Jesus. Years ago, when we were loading up everything we owned, and we had two small children at the time, both of them were fighting over sitting on Miss Vicky's lap. It was one of those old trucks. It wasn't a U-Haul. It was a company called Jartran. They're not in business anymore, I don't think. And they're going down the road. And this is before you had air cushion seats and air cushion rides and all of that. In fact, you're just, you're just, we didn't get five miles before I thought, sure, we're just going to shake us to death before we get to Oregon. I mean, every little bump, that old truck was bouncing up and down. I told people, if you tried to pick your nose, you'd stab your brain. It was so bad. You just had to be careful. Couldn't do stuff like that. It was terrible. We went over the Rocky Mountains about 20 miles an hour. Didn't have a lot of power either. It was, it was just something. But let me tell you, we knew we were in God's will. And I didn't know anybody in, in Oregon. I didn't know where we were going to live. I didn't know where we were going to start a church. I, I didn't know where we were going to meet. I didn't know any of that. I just know that God spoke to our hearts about coming, and we said yes. And here's the secret. If you'll just say yes to Jesus, he'll take care of the details. You don't have to know the details. He'll take care of them. He said to Abraham, I want you to go to a country that I'll show you. And so Abraham says, Sarah, we're, we're packing up. God's called us. Okay. Where, where's God called us to? I, I don't know. It's a land called Canaan. Well, where is it? Uh, I, I'm not sure. How are we going to get there? God said he'd take us. We'll just trust him. Just say yes to Jesus. Now, here they went from failure to success. I don't know, but every single one of us, many different times in our life, have experienced failures. But when we got humble enough to say, Lord, I just need your help, it's amazing how he turns it all the way around. He takes gloom into brightness. He takes failure into success. Now, maybe you're going through some days where it seems like things aren't going very well. But may I say, all you have to do is just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes to Jesus. And he'll take care of the details. You won't have to worry about it. You won't have to wonder where your next meal's coming from, how the bills are going to get paid, how are you going to do this, how are you going to do that. I don't know. Well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust him. And you'll be amazed how God will come through over and over and over again.
I know that we could take another hour and just have testimonies and you good people right here would be able to say times in your life where God came through over and over and over and over again. Tis grace hath brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit encouraging us with your word. And Lord, I pray you'll be with these good people and those who are listening online as well. Lord, no doubt they are going through some dark days as well and tough times. And Lord, I pray that we'd all get to that place. We'd admit that we need you. Lord, we can't make it without you. And Lord, we just need your help and your guidance and your blessing. Heavenly Father, speak to every heart and encourage them. And let them know that Peter and Andrew were wonderful apostles, but, but you're no respecter of persons. You don't love them more than you love us. And what you've done for them, you'll do for us. So work in our lives, Lord, and help us simply to say yes and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. And if God's speaking to your heart about some need in your life, would you let him minister to you? Would you pray and talk to the Lord? bless you. God bless you. Let me mention um, tomorrow for men, we're having a breakfast at Beaver Creek uh, store there or, or restaurant. Kissing Kate is what it's called. And you don't have to kiss Kate because I haven't, but it's good food. And we'll meet at nine o'clock. And so be mindful of that. Uh, also pray for Vicki and I as we're traveling this Friday and we'll be out the next two Sundays. Uh, She's speaking in California, and then I'm speaking in Hammond, Indiana, and then uh, teaching at Hiles Anderson Summer School, and then, um, and then she's speaking in Iowa, and then I'm preaching in Iowa to a place we've never been. So um, pray for us while we're traveling. We'll be thinking of you, and just uh, let God bless in a great way. You're dismissed. God bless you. <laughs>